You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. On today's show, I am excited to introduce my friend Marcy Walker from Black Coffee with White Friends. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people who listen to the podcast now may not have listened to episodes in the past. And if that's Mm -hmm. you and you're listening, I did get to talk to Marcy and we did a two-part series and you can go back and listen to that. But for those of you who don't know Marcy, Marcy, would you introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you and your website and what you do? Yeah. um, So I am Marcy Walker. I live in Austin, Texas. I have a daughter who's 17 and a husband who works alongside me as my personal designer, which is a gift in and of itself. I am the writer behind Black Coffee with White Friends. And that has just been a journey that I'm still processing. How did it all happen? Yeah. But it's been a true gift for me in ways that I'll be telling the story for years to come. I started writing about my experience of being a Black woman in predominantly white evangelical space and what that meant. All the conversations that I felt I couldn't have or I would try to have that would kind of be squashed down. And Mm -hmm. I decided to start writing about that. I also started blogging in the website so my daughter would have a legacy to look back on to see that I cared about these things because At the time I started writing, she would have been about 14, 15 years old, and they don't want to have too many conversations with you that are are you sharing yourself. It's a season of them sharing themselves with you. And I wanted to give her what was on my mind, raising her to be a Black woman in this world and also to be a person who loved God, loved others. And what that looked like for me in the spaces that we live in, which are predominantly white. So there's a lot of letters to her. There are devotionals on the website. And then I started an Instagram to further reach people. I thought I would just be reaching my friends and moms that I, you know, did life with. I did not think that it would, there was never any intention that I'm going to do this thing. It's going to take off and I could not be more surprised at its reception Mm -hmm. and and delighted. And it's a very humbling thing. You you learn a lot. So that's the backstory, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And my newest thing is because I started this whole thing, because I was learning about how history was being taught in schools and learning that it was kind of damaging for not just the kids of color, but also for white children to learn history that had been watered down. 
I wanted to address that. So I started a Patreon community where I do history lessons for adults and it's called Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the name and where the name comes from. The name comes from the book To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. I named it that because when I was a kid in school, it was the only book that we read that in any way dealt with race mm -hmm. in a way that I didn't feel diminished by it. We read Tales of Huckleberry Finn and the Tales of Tom Sawyer. Yeah. And those stories, although they did have a slave in it, I felt very diminished in it. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like it, he was not the character that people cared about so much. And I remember being teased about being on a raft and things like that. But with mm -hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird, because it was a story of justice and mm. it painted what it looked like to be a person who upheld justice. And there are difficulties with the book. Don't get me wrong. But right. what happened <laughs> with the book was that suddenly these kids who had been calling me the N-word saw themselves as being the, the antagonist in the story. And mm. although it didn't change their hearts, I don't think that, it definitely made me feel like finally we're talking about something that is about and does have a narrative for what they're doing, right? And it's not wow. me saying that they're wrong. It's Atticus, mm -hmm. right? And everyone loved Atticus, right? Yeah, and right. so um, it was a very profound thing because I went to a school. We were one of the only Black families in my town. There were a couple other Black families, but I was the only Black girl in my grade for a long mm -hmm. time. And so being that only Black child reading books and going through history lessons was excruciating. And so when my daughter got to school, she was going through um, history lessons, American history lessons in particular. It was excruciating. And so I was like, why does this have to be? And I realized it's excruciating because we don't want to tell the whole truth. If we told mm -hmm. the whole truth, even though it's a hard truth, we would humanize the people in it. But what right. we do is we prefer the hero story. And when you make heroes out of slave owners, you dehumanize the slaves. Mm -hmm. You really do. And so I started thinking, well, how do we how do we do this differently? And the goal was to eventually have history curriculums that parents could buy so that they could have discussions at home uh -huh. um, with their children. But I was like, but the parents don't know the history. So, yes, because um, I remember so, we were talking yeah. about that yeah. and you were yeah. saying uh, for kids and I was really mm -hmm. excited. And then I saw Mockingbird come out and it's for adults. And I was even more excited because yeah. for those who listen, they know that I homeschool my kids. And I, while I don't know that I'll homeschool them forever, mm -hmm. I did take on the teaching of their history. And the thing that I realized is I am lacking. And so I have people contact constantly DMing me and asking me, how do you teach your children this history? Where does right. this come from? And so Marcy, you <laughs> are curating this and putting this together. And that is so important and so needed. I'm so glad to hear that from a homeschooler because mm. that's the goal is that, you know, it was the thing where I was like, I'm not a historian. Mm -hmm. I am not. But what I am is I'm a person who's a part of our history. And so how do I look at that and look at it in my own life and also look at it in the news that plays out in front of us today? And interestingly, so often we are repeating history. 
constantly over right. and over again. And so it, they're not these big, huge leaps. And kids, I've learned, if we are not confident as in adults, like, and I think if anyone has kids, you know this to be true, they can smell our fear a mile away. So like, if we're fearful of a topic, some kids will press into that. They'll just oh, be yeah. like, oh, <laughs> you know? Right. Or there are kids who are super compliant and they won't go near it. And then they just perpetuate that cycle of fear and silence. And so I just wanted to give parents, anyone, um, really, just a bit of backbone about our history so that we can yeah. discuss it and understand it without saying things like, well, there was slavery, but that was of the time. Um, mm -hmm. No, 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 no. We need to really look at what that means. Right. What does it mean when our founding fathers, the majority of them, didn't believe that indigenous people were human mm -hmm. and that African-American slaves were not humans? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to how we create a constitution, a declaration of independence, how we create our state's laws, how we, and not just indigenous people and black people, but Let's not even talk about how women were treated. Mm -hmm. So we really need to understand there are states where women could own slaves, but not land. Mm. There's so much history out there that supports a very white male ideology where all the ideas are coming from that line of thinking and support that line of thinking. And then that's what makes the idols, the heroes. And we do it and we tell the rest of the generations that they are not to question it. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, most of our forefathers created what worked for them with right. every intention that, oh, well, the other generations will deal with the fallout. It, I don't mm -hmm. think that they ever intended that they would create a constitution in that would just be it. I think that yeah. they created a constitution that could be amended. And thank God that they did that. Mm -hmm. um, because if they hadn't have, that would be problematic. But on the same note, we have to be really careful because we kind of sit back on this constitution, yeah. believing that it can't be changed. But the, but the truth of the matter is that any time, and we've seen it recently, where there's been decisions made on who is a citizen who gets to vote, mm -hmm. who counts, and all that is coming back up. And we have to remind ourselves, this is in our history. It has happened before. Mm -hmm. And we have to know our history so that we don't repeat these things. I'm yeah. learning a lot about the Constitution this week. So, so, <laughs> so tell me yeah. about how you're curating it and what is Mockingbird? All right. So what Mockingbird is, it's a Patreon account. And what Patreon is, is a vehicle kind of like a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe. But mm -hmm. instead of it being for a one-off project um, where you raise all the funds all at once, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a call for people to be patrons of various artists and creators. Mm -hmm. So you're not supporting a creation of one particular thing. You are supporting a community. Uh, Mockingbird is a community or an artist and all the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And you can decide how much per month you want to do, but it's not like you pay $25 and that's your contribution. It's it's a monthly thing. I think you can also just make a random donation if you want. But the every community decides, every artist decides how they would like to be supported. 
for Mockingbird, I really wanted a community of people who were buying in monthly, supporting mm -hmm. it monthly. And with that, there's four lessons per month. So there's a weekly lesson per month. Um, and there's a monthly newsletter and there'll be more videos. And But everything that comes into Mockingbird supports me being able to be home to write it and mm -hmm. also to work on the children's curriculum. I made it so that anyone can do this. I you can you can have access to everything for a dollar a month. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I did that is that I remember when I was a single mom, there were so many things that I wanted to support and I just couldn't afford to support them. Right. And I'm a loyal, like diehard person. If I love something, I'm all in, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I didn't want any, you know, sweet mama or, or dad or, or grad student who wanted to be part of this, not be able to be part of it. And so it's, it's one of those things where if you only have a dollar a month, then that's cool. You still get to be part of this community. You still get to make comments. You still get the content and you still get to invest in the future curriculum for kids. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait for that to manifest so that people can see what we're doing. And it's hard to get people to give people the vision, but I think big. Like I want programs for schools. I want curriculum for schools eventually someday. Yes. Because the curriculum that's out there is generally written by white men. Mm -hmm. Most of the history that we are taught, if you even think back to college, think back to high school, so often your history teacher was white male. Oh, I know yeah. that's true for me. Absolutely. And so when we think of, when you look at the podcasts that are out there, most of, most of the history ones are white and male. Mm -hmm. And my thing is that I'm not trying to silence that voice. I think that fine, that's great that they're doing history, but where are all the other voices? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I went to Mount Vernon's website and Mount Vernon has this beautiful website. It is just chock full of information, but so much of it is really for the white gate. It's not for the person of color. My husband and I were laughing because George Washington had a slave named Ong Lee. I wrote about him in, I think in like my second post on Mockingbird mm -hmm. and the relationship that they had, if you could call it a relationship, right. but I wouldn't have called it a relationship. It was master slave, a hundred percent. But how it's presented um, at Mount Vernon was that this was that he wasn't his slave. He was his personal valet. What? Like Mr. B like Mr. Bates. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow. They didn't say like, they, they did not say like Mr. Bates, but they introduced another person, another slave name. And they said that he was the chef. And I was like, what? Say what now? Are you Are for you real? <laughs> I'm so for real. What? There are these videos. There are videos oh. that Mount Vernon has put out. Oh. And, um, that's amazing. It, yeah. It's very alarming that that's how history is being presented. Yeah. Like, how do we break that? 
it's definitely not what videos called George Washington's enslaved ballot. Right. Like that's just not, or his enslaved chef. It just doesn't help our history at all. And I think it also doesn't, it dehumanizes even George Washington. It really does. Because the thing of it is, is that we have to see him as the human that he was and not as the hero that we need him to be. Yes. And I talked about this too in one of the lessons. It's it's tricky because we we tend to be a country that idolizes people so easily. Mm-hmm. And so when and we and we love to just give them like we we gave Bill Cosby, he was America's dad. Right. And we see what happened there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we say things like Michael Jackson's the king of pop. And then we hear new news and we're just like, okay, what do we do with this? And I think the thing that we need to be able to do is to live with the tension of, yes, Bill Cosby was a great comedian, but yes, he did atrocious things to women. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be looked at as well. But I think what we want to do is we want to say that it's either or. And unfortunately, because we're humans, Mm -hmm. none of us live in an either or way. We are both our saintly deeds and our demonic acts that we (laughs) all do. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to the extent of some of the stories that I'm using, but we all know that in our humanity, we are just as easily to fall as we are to rise. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to talk about George Washington and Martha and ask questions, important questions, like if he was so heroic and he really did love the ideas of freedom and justice for all, how did he reconcile to own slaves Mm -hmm. his entire life? And so we have to ask that. And the reason why we have to ask that is because we have to then ask ourselves, okay, if I believe in truth and injustice and that all men are created equal, how do I reconcile kids being in cages at the border? Mm. We have to be able to ask ourselves these questions. But if we refuse to ask them of certain people, if we refuse to allow them to be human and not statues, we kind of shut down our own humanity when we do that. And so we are able to say, well, the problem at the border is just a problem of our time. There, there's nothing we can really do about it, which right. is such a lie. Yeah, It's a lie. And it's so important in this day and time that we especially if if you're professing to be a person of faith, that we um, look at it um, in a human, this person created in a, as a spiritual being who is loved and cherished and created by a being greater than ourselves. If we believe that be of the Islam faith or the Christian faith or Hindu faith or whatever other faith, if you truly believe that, then these are the questions that you have to be able to really wrestle with. Is if I believe that that person's human, and if I believe that that person down at the border is human as I am, then what's my responsibility to that human being in the way that I vote, in the way that I buy products, in the way that I support candidates, you know, like all of it. Yeah. And those are questions a lot of people don't like to ask. Right. Right. And that is a difficult thing. And I think a lot of that is because we aren't taught to look at our history in a critical, with a critical eye. We're taught 
from a very young age to memorialize history. Yes. So we, we memorize dates. We memorize the great founding fathers and who did what and this, that, and the other and the great happenings. Mm. But we don't at all teach our kids to ask questions like, okay, is this person a human being? Mm -hmm. At that time, were they considered human? Why not? You know, and allow our kids to be like, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, just allow our kids to go, oh, and also then to show them, okay, but here's where people are trying to fix that. Because I think if we start teaching history in that way, we could perhaps have a whole country of kids who are very much for others' rights at the margin. Mm -hmm. But we really have clipped their wings in this particular area. Oh, absolutely. Like I remember growing up, you know, just thinking back through my education process and being raised to identify with my father's indigenous roots. I grew up very aware of the injustice and very angered by it. And I would ask questions like, how can we celebrate mm -hmm. these pilgrims coming over here when, you know, because I'm being taught in school to celebrate this, you know, momentous occasion where we all sat at a table and, and gathered and all was well and we ate and, and, and all of that is so lacking in truth. Mm -hmm. And in reality, and I remember just, you know, having conversations and asking questions and being told, you know, that was then that, you know, and, and it was like, I was supposed to accept that as right. just part of the narrative. Like that was just then, right. you know, yeah, they owned slaves. Yeah. That was then. And I was right. just actually listening to a conversation with somebody I like to call she who shall not be named, <laughs> Candace Owens. I was listening to this conversation and she was attempting to make the statement that the United States was on the forefront of freeing the enslaved in the world. And she was arguing that all people were, you know, it, slavery was all over the place. And I was listening and I was yeah. like, wow, she's actually very factually incorrect in that. But if you don't have an understanding of history beyond the narrative that we were given in the average school in the United States, then think mm. that. The interesting thing is that for anyone to, to say that, and I'm not familiar with her, but I know, I know things about her, but I've not really read it. So this isn't towards her in particular, sure. it's towards that line of thinking. Right. There's sex trafficking right now all over the place, all right. over the world, but that doesn't make it right. That absolutely doesn't make it right. And so we can't just sit and go, well, we won't do anything about sex trafficking here in the United States because it's going on everywhere. Right. And that's this is just what it is for our time. No, that that's not an acceptable answer. And that's the thing that I mean by this memorializing of our forefathers, of our history, and making it that it can't be questioned, it can't be critiqued. We can't look at it from with a human perspective, um, which is the only way that we can look at this history because real human beings made it. I've seen things where people have had a lot of disagreements on what to do about monuments. Yes. Um, and that's, that's, those are real conversations that we have to have. But the thing of it is we can't talk about monuments as monuments. We have to talk about them as human beings. 
we, we just can't do it just as monuments. It's things that didn't live or breathe or oh, hurt. Yeah. Or we have to talk about the person, the real life, blood, sweat, tears of the person mm -hmm. in which we've cast into a monument. And when we start doing that, you'll look around and you'll be like, oh, we have way too many monuments, wow. <laughs> not just of Confederate people, but we, we have some very, you can't undo the fact that they were made, right? Right. So then what do we do with them? You know, and a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that. And that's not the goal of Mockingbird. Right. But the goal of Mockingbird is to talk about the person in which we've cast the monument. And to really look at them with a critical eye and say, does this person deserve all the reverence that we're giving to them? Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, I will tell you that it is never a black and white answer, a clear yes or a clear no. Mm -hmm. It is complicated at best, but just downright messy, really. And so you can't sandblast Mount Rushmore. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We do have to understand why. Why did we do that? Why do we feel we need to do that? What are we trying to say? And who are we trying to say it to? Because it's one of those things when I was, when I was a wedding designer, I used to think it, it, I could always tell this is a terrible thing, but I used to be able to tell which relationships were solid. Mm -hmm. And I, I can predict the future, but in that present state, I could tell which relationships were solid. And which ones probably had a lot more anxiety involved in the relationship. E even, even maybe they were questioning if this was the best thing that they should be doing. It's getting married. And I'll tell you, it was always the ones who just wanted to get married. And they were just like, these are the flowers I want. This is how I want it to look. And if I came back and said, oh, well, we can't do that you know, because it's, May and these flowers aren't available or that's going to cost you thousands of dollars to drape a room or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. They would be ready to move on to the next thing. They just wanted to get to the wedding. Right. That was the most important thing. They're like, yes, we want it to look fabulous, but great if it gets picked up by a blog. That's not our thing. We just want to get married. We want our friends to have a good time, our family to have a good time. We want to have a good time. And those were the best weddings. They were so fun. And they were the ones that usually did make a blog, not because the bride was trying for that. They just did, yeah, right? Yeah. But the ones that really wanted to make a blog, like wanted some blog, like, you know, style me pretty or ruffled. I don't know the new ones, but... Back then, those were the big ones to pick to pick them up. I would just be like, I'm not even sure you two should be getting married. <laughs> just really. Right. Do you want to do this? There was a lot of fighting about like, um, and they wanted all the things that proved that they were a couple. They had a cute little poem that went on all the tables. They had the initials everywhere. They had the matches. They had the, you know, the, they had all the signs, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost felt like it was this futile attempt to prove, to put into some sort of mini monuments, like all around this wedding, that they were a real deal couple, right? Ah. Even though I knew that, yeah, people are going to show up and they're going to see this wedding. But really, yeah, I knew that just the other night, this bride was in tears because 
one mom didn't want to come and she thought it was a whole sham and the groom was out with the guys. And, you know, so it's just Mm. one of those things where it's funny to me that for a country that prides itself so much on freedom and on justice and all these things, we spend more time memorializing (laughs) um, um, people that weren't able to give us that. You know what I mean? Like we can, we can talk all day long about yeah. how great George Washington was. and But he wasn't able to do what he set out to do. He, did, he was not able to accomplish it. And so when we memorialize him, what we're saying is that this is the best of America. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is that, well, that means that the best of America was when women weren't citizens and didn't have voting rights. Native Americans weren't citizens and didn't have voting rights. Black people weren't citizens and didn't have voting rights. And most immigrants coming from certain European countries also weren't citizens and didn't have voting rights. Are we really saying that? Right. You know, I just think that it's something that we really do have to be willing to look at our history as history, but not as the fact of who we are, yeah, who we are today and how we should govern ourselves today. And I think often we're bullied into that. We're bullied into it. And I hate that. I hate that for the church. I hate that for government. I hate that schools because um, most importantly, it strips a lot of humanity from little kids in class. Yeah who have to sit there and hear a history that does not include them and make monuments and pictures of cherry trees for a man that did not consider them fully human. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. So how do we teach this history to our kids? And how do we show reverence for certainly the work that had begun, but wasn't fully finished? And I think that's something that we have to look at. And if you look at Washington's farewell address, he's very aware that there are things that just weren't finished. Mm -hmm. And he knew that there were things that still needed to happen that wouldn't happen in his time. And yet we don't, we don't talk about that, but I think every kid needs to learn about that farewell address that he had so that they can see that his intentions weren't that people be dressing up as slaves at Mount Vernon. I'm like, you really can't think of something better to do with that. I mean, fine, have it be a museum, but must we have people dressed up as slaves? I don't think that in the world that we're in today, that George Washington want to see that right personally it's such an interesting and powerful analogy this idea of being in sort of a sham wedding right yeah 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 that's gonna stick with me and i'm so excited that you are doing this work because i cannot imagine how many hours of every day you are investing in the researching the reading and the creation of this space So um, I hope that people who are listening are as excited as I am and as encouraged as I am and will get involved and get on board and start the process of this education for themselves and then getting this material available and in the hands of our kids. I'm excited about that, especially being, you know, a homeschool mom. Yay! Um, It's the most exciting thing. And about the research, it's fascinating. I am, I, I do spend a good, I would say it can be anywhere from as little as six, but it's, it's usually around the 10 to 12 hour mark for each, for each essay that goes on to each lesson. It's about that much time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's reading, it's videos, it's podcasts. It's, um, a lot of digging. It's going to the national archives. It's, 
it's um really been just a fascinating journey. I'm learning so much. It can't all even go into a lesson. Right. So much to learn. But um, what I'm trying to do with each lesson is to spark conversation about here and now. Mm-hmm. We I just did one on the American Revolution and to talk about how we are a country of revolutionaries and that the dumping of the tea is very much to me like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. Yes. Um, yes. And it's and it's 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 eerily similar. Wow. It's so similar that that they really were like hey, we don't like the way we're being treated. This is not just, and we're not going to take it. Um, and in the same way, they they did this thing just to show England, this is how we feel about you and your tea. And tea is a very precious, as precious as the American flag. Wow. <laughs> you know, you don't, I, oh. I was saying how you just don't, I married to a English man and you don't snub a cup of tea that somebody hands right. you. <laughs> you just don't. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's very disrespectful. So when we take a knee for the flag, um, we have to understand that these aren't, as some people have said, horrible things about taking a knee. What it is, it's saying, I, I find something unjust. We can do better. And I'm going to take a stand against you know, the hypocrisy that I see. Yeah. And and I think that's so wonderful that we can still be a country of revolutionary. I love it. It's when the kids from Parkland decided to take to the streets and protest. Oh my gosh. That's so echoes back to the Boston Tea Party and it echoes back to Paul Revere. We we are a country made um protest too. And that's doesn't have to be negative. And no. I love yeah. that about our country. We started out being a, that's why we're not a monarchy. How cool. Right. You know, that we get to do that and be those people that women got to come and, and participate in the women's march that Martin Luther King marched in. Um, there were civil rights marches that there are indigenous people who have marched and there, I read, I heard this beautiful story of a tribe that traveled i think it's the first native person who ever had a, a trial where it took aim at our government yeah way back when and with all of his people with him and i think that's just the heart and, and just soul of america is that we don't we should never be silent and when we have uh. anyone in any position who would say anything against that to me that's that's a very anti-American and very dangerous because <laughs> that's who we are. You know, we're a country that gets to say and we get to protest and is how things have gotten done. It's how we've gotten most of the amendments is that people protest mm-hmm. and it's how we've moved forward. So I love it. I could talk about history all day. Now. I know. I love it. <laughs> the spirit of revolution. So where can people find yeah. you and follow you and how can they support you? The Best way to follow me is I'm an Instagram girl. So there is a Instagram feed for Mockingbird. I just launched it last weekend. 
um, but it's Mockingbird History Lessons. So at Mockingbird History Lessons. So you can follow there. And um, you can also go to my Patreon, which is if you go to patreon.com and search for Mockingbird History Lessons, you'll, you can access the page there. And the best way to support me is just to become a patron um, if you're able. And if you're not able to become a patron now, please don't let that stop you from following along on Instagram. You won't be able to access all of the material on the page, but you'll at least be able to get snippets of things from the Instagram account, which I'm, I'm having a lot of fun creating. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. I'm so excited that it's finally here and just want to support you in all the ways possible. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's just a true pleasure to sit and talk with you. Thanks, Marcy. Thanks, Marcy.